Welcome back to TMT Time. I'm one of your hosts, Evan Rothstein of the Technology, Media, and Telecommunications Group here at Arnold and Porter. I am back with our trade secret expert, Dina Hayes, to talk about some interesting damages awards that have come down here in 2020 and 2021, and why you should be paying attention and why you may want to take trade secret cases more seriously. So with that lead in, Dina, welcome back into TMT time. Thank you, Evan. It is uh, great to be here and really some, these are the kind of cases that we talk about today that, that spurs the phone ringing and the emails from the clients as to have you seen this and what do we, what do you think about that? So I think it's a great timely topic for us to kind of chew on a bit. Yeah. We used to see these big patent infringement awards and, and, you know, the common person sees patent, the word patent and their eyes glaze over and they're like, yeah, that could never happen to us. Trade secrets though, because it's a little bit more amorphous than patents really can happen to everybody. And, you know, we just talked about some issues with the Workplace Mobility Act and employees leaving, but most of these cases that we've seen the last year where there's been huge awards have really started with employees leaving and taking trade secrets. So this is something you really do want to pay attention to, right? Well, absolutely, because, you know, the typically the trade secrets are in a, in a, in a technology or a business space where there's a lot of money, right? I mean, you've got companies that are investing. If you're going to invest a lot of money into a trade secret, you know, technology, then if somebody rips it off, the only reason they're going to be, you know, taking it is so that they can make a decent amount of money. And the trade secret damages that you see in these cases um, are really, some of them are astronomical and even and they're being upheld, right? The jury is comfortable awarding that type of money and, and district courts are, are finding that the, the awards are supported by the evidence and on appeal. So um, it's definitely one that you see a lot of attorneys really swinging for the fences uh, because they'll stick. Yeah, I saw this verdict in the Trizetto Sintel case up in New York late last year was $855 million. And interesting uh, inside baseball note here, I'm working currently with one of the experts involved in that case. And he takes pride in the fact that the verdict form that came back in the case, literally written in pen by hand, had $855 million <laughs> awarded. And it was the amount that the expert that I'm working with his team lobbied for and argued for and testified for on the stand. So he takes particular pride in that. Uh, but I mean, that's crazy. You get a, a verdict form, a sheet comes back after a jury trial and it was virtual uh, uh, for part of it. And then in, in person for part of it. it was actually the first in-person jury trial in SDNY last year after the COVID pandemic. And I can't even imagine sitting on the other side of the aisle getting handed a sheet of paper that had the, the number $855 million dollars <laughs> penciled or penned in there. Uh, I'm not sure how they left the, the courtroom with clean pants, but, you know, but you're right. They're, they're being upheld on, on appeal or by the post-judgment motions. So, you know, that should scare the, you know, a lot into people and into companies that juries are not shy under the trade secret rubric, whether it's the DTSA or the Uniform Trade Secret Act uh, to give these big damages. I mean, do you think 
uh, companies should be looking to enforce trade secrets more given these big awards? I, I mean, I, I do, right? I mean, I think it's the trade secret law gives you some benefits that I think is not provided in, a, in your typical traditional patent, trademark, or copyright lawsuit, right? The damages in a trade secret case are one are ones that can be supported and they're really flexible where you can, you have the, the, the kind of the opportunity to pick an, an actual damages, right? If that can be quantified on a lost profit side, uh, you, can, you can pitch up an unjust enrichment theory for damages, reasonable royalty for damages, enhanced damages, attorney's fees. You really can, can go through a lot of the columns um, for, seeking damages that is broader than you would get in a, in a patent or trademark suit, right? Um, and so that is why, you know, we consult with, with clients all the time when they're, they can't quite put their finger on what was the wrong, right? You know, they're looking for their patents. They know their patents perhaps were infringed and we can see there's kind of either a, a trading off of someone's trademark or the copyright looks pretty close, you know, that substantial similarity test, but the trade secret gives clients that feeling that something is wrong. They took something, uh, they, they really were manipulative in either getting it or taking it, or my, my employees really ripped me off because they were upset or disgruntled. So I find that trade secret cases have an emotional element to them that a jury really can, can comprehend and um, sympathize with. And I think that is really why some of these damages wards are so big because it's a story. It is, it is much more personal um, to the plaintiffs. Um, the defendants usually have a story as well, but it's much more emotional for the jury, which gives them the, the footing to come up with these big awards. Yeah, I actually think that's a terrific point. As a trial lawyer, when you're getting in front of a jury, you want to have that persuasive story or the theme. And I, I totally agree with you that presenting a narrative of these two individuals over exceeded their access to our files and were already building their competitive company when they went to go join or form their new company. And then they took our information and got three years worth of head start on building that technology that we had spent 10 years in research and development and hundreds of millions of dollars. And now they're making tons of money and that's rightfully ours. And those damages measurements that you talked about are available in trade secrets cases. You can, you can choose one of them or you can choose them all. In the Trizetto case, there was entries for an award of damages under each of those theories that you mentioned and the, and the jury rung them up on all three. So you know, it allows that flexibility once you tell that persuasive story. So I, I think that's a really good point. Uh, and, you know, it's also a little bit easier to show, I think, than a patent case. In a patent case, of course, you have to go through claim construction, and then you have to try and make the technology accessible to the jury on an infringement read. But in a trade secret case, you're, you're dead on. You just have to say, here's what they did, and then here's what happened once they did it. And as a plaintiff, that's pretty powerful information to have. So, you know, my original question was, do you think plaintiffs should 
uh, be looking to bring trade secret cases? And I think you and I are in agreement that the answer is yes. Right. I mean, and again, it always comes with caveats, right? We wouldn't be lawyers if, if we weren't going to hedge a bit. But the reality of it is it 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 starts. I don't want hedging, Dina. Come on. <laughs> this it's... is not the caveat show. This is the TMT time. We're taking positions here. It... Uh, you can play the defendant. You can play the defendant now. Go ahead. I guess what I'm saying is it comes back to making sure your client is protecting the information, right? I mean, the hardest part we have as lawyers, I think, Evan, is when a client comes to us with that icky feeling that this is what happened and you go through that checklist and you say, okay, I know the bucket of your trade secrets. It's a technology, it's discreet. Um, we've got that, got that nailed down. When you ask the, the inevitable question of what have you done to protect it? Right. What plate? What do you have in place um, to protect that information? The documents. Who are you giving them to? So, to me, the clients. You know, yes, they should be prepared to enforce their trade secrets and protect their trade secrets to the fullest extent because you can get um, some great damages uh, to help against that wrong. But it starts earlier. You've got to protect the trade secrets and make sure that you at least have some policies um, set up and you've got a nice cohesive procedure for protecting your trade secrets. Because that in litigating is really the hardest thing to express and to explain to a jury, I find. Then unfortunately, the, the, the case law is you know, reasonable, right? And I'm air quoting, but the reasonable security measures. So you get some some leniency in what you do, but you have to have something and, and relying on, well, everybody knows that, you know, each person's respective stuff is secret and they shouldn't take it. It doesn't get you very far. Um, and on the flip side of that is when, when defendants say, well, you know, I took it, but I didn't use it. Or I, I never, I never, it's, I took it, but it wasn't valuable to me. Right. The question, the answer to that is always, well, why'd you take it? Then? All right. You don't just take stuff. You don't just accidentally have 60,000 um, files on a, on a flash drive that you dropped into your briefcase and it just happened to get plugged into your new computer. So the trade secrets are, are cases that you have a couple of breadcrumbs um, along the way. And if you have a, a client that's done something that has protected the trade secrets reasonably. Um, you tell that story to a jury, and there's this, you know, the, the circumstantial evidence is enough because if someone is the bad actor here, they're gonna cover up their tracks. They're gonna do the best they can to, to, to perhaps justify what they did. And, and a lot of times with juries, when you have them on your side on this emotional piece, it just doesn't sit right. So it, 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 really, um, it really behooves companies to, to protect them um, and then to enforce them, to not get nervous or worried about what's going to happen. Because if really you let your trade secrets out the door without having any teeth to protect them, it's, it's just going to keep happening. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things that we're seeing more and more of now is the trade secret cases used to start and end at a preliminary injunction stage where your employee leaves and it's an emergency situation and the defendant just has to kill the PI attempt 
And it was easier to do that because of the high standard to get an injunction. So a defendant could come in and say, one of the things you said, well, I didn't use them. I'm not going to put this person in the same position. They're not valuable, et cetera. You can't show irreparable harm. And you'll get a preliminary injunction denied, and then the parties settle. What we're seeing more of, I think, with some of these damages verdicts is cases are either never going to a PI stage or they're going past it and they're going all the way to a jury trial. And when there is big dollars at issue, like in this other case that happened closer to your neck of the woods in the Motorola High Terra case where there was the verdict last year, uh, you know, there's when there's big dollars involved and, and bad fact patterns, when what you had there, two employees left and really didn't hide their tracks very well and started developing a competitive product immediately, you're going to get cases where companies are more willing to take it to verdict. And so if you're a defendant in that situation, you really have to start building your strategy from the beginning. And it used to be that you build that strategy around how to beat the PI. But I think now as a defendant, you really and you're in these situations and you haven't hired Dina ahead of time and you didn't do a good job vetting the employee before they game came in and you didn't do a good job monitoring what that employee was doing and you're scrambling after the fact, you have to build your strategy as if the plaintiff is gonna take the case to trial and try and get big dollars. And so you're making different decisions early on knowing that you could get a huge verdict. And this high terror case that I just mentioned, it was slightly below the the Trizetto one, I think it was <laughs> 740 million, uh, but was recently reduced, uh, right? It wasn't it reduced like a couple hundred million you know, a couple months ago? Yeah, the court judge Norgel found some um, double counting, which you'll see sometimes when plaintiffs do do that kind of menu choice of not only one from column A, one from column B, and one from column C, but all three. Uh, so when they, they just throw it all to the jury, have the jury be emotional about it, award a big number, and then say, you know what, we'll just have the the, the judge untangle it later. Um, when you're talking about those big of numbers, of, you know, reducing it by 30, 30% still gets you at five, $543.7 million. Um, but you raised an important question, I think, which is a strategy discussion about preliminary injunction from the plaintiff side. You know, you can say we can have this mini trial on the merits without when we don't have a lot of discovery, when we don't have a lot of information, we're still developing our story, or you can have the meter run. And we can then have, a have you know, our damages case be strong when the numbers are going to be so big um, after two years of litigation. It really puts pressure on the defendant. They've got to roll the dice as well when they're considering resolving the case or not. When that meter is running, which each day, um, and you see the damages awards in the news, how big they are, it definitely has a flinch factor in there. Yeah, this, there was a decision here just a couple of weeks ago in March of 2021 in the Eastern District of Texas, which is known as a patent infringement award bonanza jurisdiction, although that may be waning some, there was a $150 million trade secret verdict, a oh, whole hum, only $150 million <laughs> yeah. on a two-year-old case. Change. Just, yeah, just what you were just saying. You know, they they went for damages and it took two years to get them damages, but they got $152 million for trade secret theft. So, I mean, we have to be paying attention all the time on both sides of the aisle. No, absolutely. And, I, and again, I mean, it, it was 
mind blowing to me. I mean, I, you know, the first 15 years of my career were just straight up patent cases. And the first case I worked on, the trade secret case I worked on was for a, um, a recipe for frozen sausage. And it was the exact emotional story that I mentioned earlier. It was a mom and pop um, from the north side of Chicago, came up with a way to have Italian sausage in such a way that it was could be pressed and extruded in a way that it would be good for frozen pizza. The pizza chain hired them, got the recipe, and then fired them after six months. And frozen it, sausage does not sound delicious. I'm well, again, you right and I, I can assure you, you do not want to know how the sausage gets made. Um, and no, so, <laughs> no, I definitely do not. Good point. And it was, uh, it was. But you had this story, this mom and pop story, and it was a trade secret case. And it was, um, everyone gets invested in it, right? Everyone in the on the litigation teams get invested in telling the story and some vindication. Um, and so when I talk about the emotion of the clients, I'm not going to lie. I think we as attorneys get equally as invested in, in telling that story and finding some recovery. And when it's when it's a great recovery, it's even better. All right. Well, I think the message from today is take trade secret cases seriously right from the beginning and hope they don't happen to you. But when they do, make sure you have someone like Dina on your side. So uh, with that, I think we will sign off on our second trade secret focus TMT time. Dina, thank you so much for joining us again. It was a great pleasure to have you in again, and we hope to get you back up in the box in the hot seat here sometime in the near future. Yep, I love it. Anytime. All right. Take care, everybody.